0: So we're back to Abraham and Sarah, and particularly this morning, I want to talk about Sarah on Mother's Day. Do you ever find yourself in the middle of someone else's story? Maybe we could also say someone else's mess. That's maybe more like it. That you didn't plan to be where you are, but someone else's story or someone else's mess has landed you in a situation where you kind of throw your arms up and say... How are we gonna get out of this? So as we go back to the story of Abraham and particularly the story of Sarah, um, I want to talk about how Sarah navigated in the middle of someone else's story. And actually specifically in at least one instance, someone else's mess. So a little tongue in cheek this morning, I wanna take you to a verse in the New Testament. And those of you with discerning Minds will ask yourselves. What in the world is he going to try to talk about on Mother's Day from this verse? so let me read it to you and um, From there we will segue on to the life of Sarah Here's what we find in first Peter Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord and You have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear so this would be a bad time to turn off the service, all right? I'm, I'm not not going to um, cajole women to be calling their husbands Lord. Although it'd be all right every now and then if if they chose to. But what was really interesting to me, just a, totally aside on this, if if in your Bible it's the same as mine, there's a little reference in the middle of this text that sort of takes you back to when she called him lord and i don't and obviously this is all that peter had at his disposal so he's saying on the basis of what he knows from the written story the written narratives of abraham and sarah this is what peter has seen and for some reason he goes to this example in sarah's life and i went back and had a look and Do you know when it was that Sarah called Abraham Lord? She called him Lord while she was laughing to herself at the message that she was going to have a son. So they'd had this visit from angelic beings with God's message to them, and it was a confirmation um, after the very first promise quite a while later where the message from God came to Abraham and Sarah. Sarah will have a son. And and the passage says that Sarah laughed when she heard that. And, And here's the commentary back in Genesis. She laughed when she heard that she was going to have a son. And it says this, Imagine this, when I am old, and my husband is ridiculously old. My Lord Is ridiculously old my my Lord is old and we're going to have this pleasure that's the Hebrew term so I think maybe Peter was also sort of tongue-in-cheek about this whole thing so here's Sarah and she is referring to Abraham as her Lord but not in the context in which it is is sort of interpreted and applied in Peter she is laughing to herself and saying, you know, this old guy, my lord? Um, I, I don't think so. so. So take that for what it's worth. Um, call your husband lord if you must, if you like, and we'll be all good. So let me go back with you to the story of Sarah. Because this whole matter of her being an older woman and Abraham indeed being even older than she was, is kind of at the heart of the 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 miraculous working of God in bringing about his great purposes and plan and story um, through the history of Israel and in, into the rest of the covenant relationships of the Bible. Um, as we think about... Sarah and Abraham, we go with them on this little journey, long journey, and it it was a journey full of kind of um, mess-ups, if you like. I mean, there were conflicts, there were conflicts among people around them, there were conflicts um, that came to them and because of them, and one of the parts of the story is, is very interesting and here's the the whole idea about being caught up in someone else's story there was a king called abimelech and so in in that time that that would have been sort of like you know um a lord in a region um kind of a a, a city king over a region and abraham and sarah were were passing through his territory and abimelech saw sarah and thought she was beautiful. Now, you know, come again back to the reality that she's well into her 90s, I guess, by now, right? Uh, So shout out to older, beautiful women. And I could get myself in trouble here if I refer to Annabeth as a beautiful older woman, but not because I'd be right on one hand and not right on the other hand, and it'd be a typical husband thing. You know, uh oh, put my foot in my mouth one more time. So I'll leave it alone, but it's it's there as an aside. Abimelech looked at Sarah and thought she is good looking. And he took her into his home. And as as all of that happened, um Abraham had a word with Sarah, and he said, I know they're going to find you very beautiful, so yeah, um, I might come a cropper to this. I mean, he may decide he wants you for his wife, and I'm the problem. So he may just send his hitman after me. So please tell him and all the people around him that you're my sister. Now, it's half true because they had the same father, different mother. Something like that. So they were half-siblings. So it's kind of a half-truth. But what in the world was Abraham thinking? And here is Sarah finding herself in the middle of someone else's mess or someone else's story. So Abimelech takes Sarah into his home. And along the way, actually, God appears to him and says, What are you doing? This woman is married and Abimelech has a fit. So he goes after Abraham and he says, what are you trying to do to me? You didn't tell me that she's your wife. You said she's my sister. Now, fortunately, this is, um, this is a family-rated show and that's fine because nothing happened um, that was untoward. And so Abimelech did the right thing. I mean, he did the upstanding thing and he returned Sarah. Um, to her to her husband Abraham that's not the only time that you know they wobbled into ethical or moral difficulties but imagine being Sarah in the middle of all of this, so this whole saga has been about her essentially being an innocent participant in abraham's story right in in this instance it's Sarah being dragged into Abraham's mess. And in our lives, I think we sometimes find ourselves in someone else's story or someone else's mess. We, we didn't choose to get there. Maybe it's a good story, and that's great, but maybe it's not such a good story, and, and, and we're sort of thinking, what have I gotten myself into? And if it's a mess, then we really are asking ourselves, what have I gotten myself into? So Sarah, from the very beginning, Uh, Went along with Abraham, you know, we're not given any part of the narrative that that has Sarah being um, You know a partner with Abraham in terms of hearing the Lord speak to her and um, Knowing the wisdom of what they would do Abraham I I don't know how he how he told her all that he needed to tell her but you know you can imagine your husband comes home and tells you some outlandish story and and says, so let's go. And you say, what do you mean go? I mean, I like it here. I have finally got my house in shape. I finally got my garden all proper. And why are we going to go? But Abraham um, had had a call from God, and Sarah was brought into his story. I want to talk today about, Story And essentially the the way that we understand story, first of all in, in the Bible's setting, in the Old Testament versus New Testament setting of the story of the Bible, and then also how our, our own stories need to be understood and need to be um, seen in the light of, of greater things than what the stories themselves might seem to imply or might seem to lead us to so there are three things about stories Um, the first thing is about the the story in the bible and then the next two are about our stories and coming from abraham and sarah's stories the first one's a little bit harder to explain I, i want to be careful to to say what i what i mean to say but it's this that old testament stories Must be read forwards. So just let that sink in for a moment. The stories of the Old Testament need to be read in a forward direction. An example of our propensity to not do that is the recent times when we have seen movements in in cities and states and so on about changing statues that were part of an embarrassing past that that's to say the very least of it and the rewriting of history um because we are terribly embarrassed ashamed repentant over what that history was all about and so we would rather sort of expunge the pages of history and maybe we can do it by removing the icons, removing the symbols of our wrongdoings in the past. We can do that, um, but I think at some point, we are better to say it was what it was, uh, and, and it is what it is. What we did then was wrong-headed. Or, or much much more than that but we did it and we look back with all of the understanding that we presently have with all of the values that we have now developed with all of the commitments that we have begun to make um, we look back from that point of view and we're horrified at the us of the past the revisionism of history is really, really tricky. And possibly the better thing would be to acknowledge, uh, in a sense, to to note, to record the errors of the past, uh, and then say, but now is now, and here's what we will do, or even what we would have done. Um, do you remember the little toy cars? They, I don't know if you can get them anymore. We're much more sophisticated now. But you used to be able to take one of these little cars and hold it on the floor and then draw it back. And as as you have drawn it back, you hear something rev up. And when you let go, the car goes forward. That's That's maybe an illustration of this that that the way we read Old Testament history is only uh, um, as Accurate as it needs to be when 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 we pull back What we intend to do is let it move forward So that's why I mean I want to be clear about what I'm saying here some of the stories of the Old Testament are horrifying and for for many people it's a struggle to accept those stories because we think, how, how in any way could that have been part of the behavior or commands or, or um, you know, even requirements of, of a God of love? I mean, so when we try to be revisionist with the Old Testament story, We're doing the same thing that we do as we look back on our own more recent history, and we're looking back with the full sensibility of who we are now, and theologically, biblically, spiritually, we look back on the narrative of the Old Testament with New Testament eyes. We look back, and we have a hard time um, lining up the god of the old testament with the god of the new testament because we look at the stories of the old testament with new testament eyes which is in in some way very appropriate but it it is wrong-headed when we expect that what we are taught in the new testament was the understanding was the the sort of the progress or the station of the story of God and us through all of time. So if we go back to the Old Testament, we need to watch the events of the Old Testament as they progress into something more in the New Testament and very, very often something far, far better. And and you can't go back. You you can't read it the other way. You can't um, impose on the narrative of the Old Testament the values of the New Testament. So in, in a very simple way, if we look at the sacrificial system of the Old Testament and we look at what was required uh, to make a sacrifice, just just a simple animal sacrifice, we need to understand that that may to us seem to be a barbaric thing in some way or or maybe a superfluous thing. And yet, there seemed to be a fixation on that in, in the religion of the Old Testament and in, in the Yahweh worship of the Old Testament. When we push forward into the New Testament, we find that the meaning of those events is in the fulfillment that comes by Christ. And so, that which in the Old Testament in situ or in, in its own place or context might look as though it's unnecessary, maybe redundant, maybe even silly. When we find the fulfillment in the New Testament, then we can kind of go back and say, oh, oh, I get it. I get it. But we, we don't go the other direction, right? We, we don't go back and, and say we need to travel that way in that regard. So, for those of you who, who struggle with how the Old Testament seems to be so different from the New Testament, um, let me encourage you to always understand the Old Testament as you understand what became of the story of the Old Testament as it was fulfilled in various ways, in, in, even in the later Old Testament into the new testament particularly through the life of christ and into the life of of the church the second thing and that first thing may occasion some questions on your part and i am very happy to answer questions about that send me an email um, send me a text make a phone call and i'd be happy to chat with you i'll tell you this a book that i've been reading for the last several months is called faith after doubt and in that book, Brian McLaren talks about how how our faith often sort of um, moves, sort of transitions from one stage to the next. He talks about it beginning in a, a a kind of understanding that we would say is simplicity, and then he says as we get older in our faith, or even older in our, our year in our years. The simplicity of what we've believed becomes a little bit more. It's it's more like complexity. So, hmm, maybe it's not quite that simple. It's a bit more complex. That's what life's like, anyway. The third stage is perplexity, where we scratch our heads and we say, it was better when it was simplicity, because now this complexity, the more it sort of gathers moss like a... A stone-rolling, the more it it becomes perplexity for me. I'm more and more confused. And after that, he talks about moving into what he calls faith expressed in love, and that's a whole other talk. But I've spent a lot of my Christian life and, and studies and so on in perplexity, and in many ways, I'm still in perplexity. And for many people, just this one aspect of our perplexity can trip us up. The Old Testament, just um, in, in terms of its, its narrative and history, um, it, it just makes us scratch our heads. So I would just su- suggest to you that what I'm suggesting here is, is a little bit of my attempt to, to deal with that perplexity and say, here's how we can find faith. Um, even when we're perplexed by uh, the God of the Old testament the 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 various ways that we seem to see him characterized and behaving, but the second thing, uh, and here moving more into the story of Sarah in the middle of someone else's story and us in the middle of someone else's story and mess, and it's about us it's it's about the stories of our own lives and in many ways that's what anybody's life is it's a story and so the second thing i want to say about stories in this regard this morning is to suggest to you that broken stories can be dealt with in only one way broken stories can be embedded in a better story or a bigger story and I think learning that is, is the space of great personal growth, um, great understanding in, in our relationship with God and, and with one another. Many of us have broken stories, and we wonder how can those broken stories be fixed? I have sat over the years many times listening to people's broken stories, and they break they break my heart. Uh, stories of abuse, stories of hurt, stories of disappointment, stories of failure. Um, and, and they're heartbreaking, these stories. And you sort of have the sense of a person just longing for their story either to be erased or... Um, forgotten somehow and I, I think the right perspective is to say that there's only one way that a broken story can be dealt with and that is by embedding it in a bigger story a better story the the big story the the great story the meta narrative of our lives and of our existence and of humankind is, is God, and in particular, God's character. So w- whatever the aspects are of my broken story, what will I do with that story um, to change its terms and outcomes? I, I, I can't do much. Unless I see how it is, or I come to the point of seeing that that story needs to sink into a bigger story. And I think for many, many of us, we will only perceive the bigger story later on, on down the road of life, or maybe not even until after this life has come and gone. Because the truth of the Christian religion is that there is a bigger story than any of us is, is living or telling. And that is the story of God. And I know that the only time that I've been able to, to even get a, a handle on a broken story in, in my life or someone else's is to look beyond the story and say, what is God's story? In the middle of, of all of this. And, and the story of God is always the story about his love. I, I can't find anything in the scripture that says the thing that's more important about God than love is. Um, we are told in, in, you know, clear, clear terms. God is love. And so the big story that I know is out there is the story of God's love. And God's love and that story is the only place that a broken story can find its healing, can find its mending. And all of the broken stories of this world and this life um, can only be grasped with, with a sense of hope in the context of God's Big story, God's better story. Even the things that are happening in our lives today, knowing that in the middle of the pandemic, of of this year and and months longer, there's a bigger story than this, and it's the story of God's love. How does the story of the pandemic find its its um, end or its 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 solution? in the big story of God's love, I I don't know. I think I can begin to see here and there there are ways that God's love uh, is beyond the experience of the pandemic. Over the last few months, we've been heartbroken over uh, the situation in Ethiopia and the Tigray people. And the reports just continue to get worse. And yet behind that somehow or other the big story is the story of god's love that god is a god of love and he will he will bring to fruition what was happening even in the midst of tragedies in people's lives it may well be after we have moved on from this life that that then we're able to see that god's love was transcendent that god's love was bigger Than the tragedies the brokenness along the way and we see that it it takes God a long time it takes God all of human history to to deliver his love and and that's why The message about the love of God through the death of Christ for our sins is not incidental It's an it's a key part of God's great story of love because as God looks at all of the brokenness of our lives, there's one reason for brokenness. It's sin. Sin is the fact that we are out of sync with God. We have, have turned our backs on him. And, and also, we, we just can't be the kinds of people and live the kinds of lives that would be necessary to meet up with, with the, the standards that even we would have for ourselves and we imagine God must have for us. And so, through all these thousands of years, God has been at work telling his story. And his story is a story of love. And every broken story um, can only find its healing temporary or permanent in, in the story of the love of God. Because God's existence and God's character of love are the stories that transcend all of the broken stories of our lives. Even Sarah's story of trying to deal with the mess-ups of her husband's life and behavior, find their fulfillment in the character of God and the purposes of God that Abraham and Sarah never understood even through the the years of their lives, you know, long lives though they were. It was long after that um, history could tell the story and. The, the revelation of the new testament could say what god was doing so we've thought about that even particularly through the children's stories that it was all of the stars of heaven not being in number able to 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 count the descendants of abraham and sarah all of the sand on the seashore not being you know enough even if we could count it to to enumerate the the descendants of, of Abraham. So God's story was way bigger than the story of Sarah and Abraham. And so there's the example of, of Sarah's life for us. And what Peter does say is that it, she, it, it's when we are able to live without succumbing to fear that we can please God and and we we can... Somehow have an understanding of of the work of God and the story that God is crafting and the story that God is telling Old Testament stories have to be led read forward broken stories can be embedded in a better story and Finally many stories are not over yet I'm sorry to tell you that in some ways because so many of us, when we're in the middle of our own broken story or we're in someone else's story, uh, we would like it to be over quickly. We'd like it maybe to be over soon. And, and the fact is that many, many stories are not over yet. God has not finished what he is doing. He has been incredibly patient with us, and he has taken the time uh, to craft a story, to tell a story that finally will be proven to be a story of his love. Uh, we may even struggle to see how it is that the broken stories of our lives and our existence could ever mount up to being part of God's story of love. And yet, that's the big story that we, we appeal to, that, that we lean on. And many stories are not over yet. You have stories. You have stories that are perhaps someone else's story that you didn't want to get involved in or maybe you did choose to be involved in. Um, Maybe the stories are stories of a, a mess that has been made in someone else's life that you now are somehow part of and trying to find your way out of. Take heart, because when Sarah realized where she was and who had taken her, what do you think was in her mind and in her heart? This king, this maybe violent king that would have been the way of the day, this violent king has has taken her from her husband, and her husband has been The kind of weak person that says, let's tell a lie to save my skin. Sarah came to herself, I'm sure, and said, how in the world is this ever going to get fixed? And yet, her story was not over. Her story was not even over when her life ended. Her story is not yet over because God is still working through what he began in the lives of Abraham and Sarah, your story's not over yet. The thing you've been praying for for many years that hasn't been realized, the story's not over. That person you're praying for, the story of that person's life is not over. And you need to hold on. Don't be afraid. Hold on and let even that story be a story that you embed in your confidence that God is, and that God above all else is a God of love. And he will prove at the end that every way that he has shaped the story that you are part of has been a way of love because of what he wants for you. God bless.